Good morning to everyone. It's always good to be here. Well, I thought about preaching from Galatians this morning, but I didn't know if I'd get in trouble, so uh, I decided I would get, I'd be all over the place. And uh, we're going to be talking about imitating Jesus. And the title of the lesson is Imitate Jesus, 10 verses. And there are 10 verses, and I'm sure there are many, many more, but I'm sure that uh, we'd get cold before and hungry before we got to the end of them. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to look at 10 of them and uh, see where it takes us. If you'd like to follow in your Bible, the first place we're going is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 25. For even here in two were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes we are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd, and bishop of your souls. Peter has his own unique style, but Peter is as inspired as Paul, and I love reading from both of them. Uh, I like the way Paul flows with his, uh, sometimes you'll go five or six verses before he has a period uh, at the end. He's got a lot of commas. It just keeps going and going, and you know what? I don't think an English teacher could find fault with what he has to say inside that, that uh, sentence structure because he, he speaks very well. And Peter, being a fisherman, also does. And as he's written along through chapter 2, he gets down to this part, and he's spoken, and he says, For even hereunto were ye called. We are the church. I believe the Greek uh, bears out the concept of ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on uh, where you where you learn about it. But it means called out. Now I can think of somebody who was called out a long time before the day of Pentecost. Of course, he wasn't here for the church to be a part of the church, but he was one of God's people. And the reason I know he was called out. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, we are told that the Lord God said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and come into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And in thee and thy seed 
shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham was called out. Called out from where? Called out from Ur of the Chaldees. Called out from where his roots were. Called out from a place that had a lot of idolatry. But Abraham happened to be one of those people that had enough, well, we all have enough intelligence because God blesses us with the ability to think. And Abraham had thought it through, and he didn't need to go to the uh, ziggurat, I think that's how they pronounce it, uh, the ziggurat and burn incense to the different little gods of the Chaldeans or of Ur specific, but he would pray and he would talk to God. He's very close to God. Well, we were called. Abraham was called. We were called. And we're called out of the world. Jesus says in John chapter 17, as he talked to his father, they are in the world, but they are not of the world. Now, we're, we're here every day. We go to the grocery store, or we go to the doctor's office, or we go to a restaurant, uh, or we go to wherever. And there are people there who aren't Christians. They're part of the world. Some of them are good people, and some of them are unrighteous. And you could, you could use that uh, adjective very easily. But we're still here. The gravity's holding us all on the planet. And so we were called out of the world, not out of the, the globe, but out of living like the rest of the people who live here. We have a standard. We have a guide. And that guide is the Word of God. That standard is the Word of God. That law is the Word of God. Any way you direct it, it comes from our Creator, and we have a responsibility and an obligation to follow it. And if I neglect to follow God's Word, it doesn't mean i got to run out and be a bad person. But if God said, do this, this, and this, and I neglect to do it, I'm disobeying Him. I'm like the... The, the little one, you say, shh, and they keep talking. And you say, shh, and they keep talking. They're disobeying. And generally they know it. And at the appropriate time, then they get a reinforcement regarding that. We were called, and Peter gives a because. Because Jesus, or because Christ, the anointed one, also suffered for us. Yeah, we can say, oh, somebody say, oh, I just hurt so bad. You say, oh, I, I wish I could take your pain for you. We can't take somebody else's pain for them. Jesus took the worst pain that any of us have, and that is the pain of being lost, the pain of sin. And he suffered on our behalf and left us an example. And Peter's still running the sentence there. He's got a comma left us an example, there's a purpose for that, that ye should follow his steps. And so if I read the Bible and Jesus says, go this way, and I go this way, I'm not following his steps. If he says, go this way, and I go that way, I'm not following his steps. If God says, thou shalt not, and I say in my head, thou wilt do this, because one time won't hurt anything, or thou wilt do this, because it's not really a bad thing, and besides, everybody is doing the same thing. 
but it's still disobedience to God. We're not following the example. Jesus was the example in many ways, but He was perfect in all His ways. He obeyed the Father, even, even going to the cross and dying the death on our behalf. We should follow His steps. Verse 22, Peter picks up steam. He says, regarding Jesus, follow His steps. And here's a description for us. Who did no sin. He didn't sin. There's another good verse, Bruce, to go along with what we were talking about earlier. Peter says very plainly, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. You're not going to find anything coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. You won't find anything coming out of the son of uh, Mary and her husband, the carpenter, Joseph, uh, who is the son of God. You're not going to find anything foul coming out, off color, off shade. He's not around the back of the synagogue with the other boys uh, telling or listening to something that shouldn't be said and then laughing about it. That's not him. He's an example. He is a standard. He is a law in, of, in and of himself showing us the way. Will we achieve perfection? Well, no, because our perfection is in Christ. He is our perfection. And will we, we achieve total righteousness? Total righteousness, yes. Our own righteousness, no. Because we will receive the righteousness of God when we obey Christ. He did no sin. There was no guile found in his mouth. He was reviled, and oh, he most certainly was reviled. You know, they put the robe on him and the crown of thorns, and they hit him with the uh, staff and pressed the thorns in and spit on him. He was reviled. There's no record. And then the Scripture bears out, he did not revile back. In other words, he took it. He took it. He carried it. He bore the burden. When he suffered, he didn't threaten anybody. You know, Stephen had to have been imitating Jesus because Jesus could have threatened from the cross and he had the power, I suppose we could say, to threaten. And he had the, and he had the ability and the power to not use that or not misuse that power that way. But when Stephen was stoned, I used to wonder, and then I real, I, I mean, I should have realized, but when I was younger, I wondered, why didn't he, why did he just let them do that? They're throwing the stones, why didn't he pick them up and throw them back? <laughs> but as you get older, you realize that's just, that would be total opposition to what he'd just been preaching. If I am a Christian, and I do something that's contrary to what we believe, to what we teach, to what the community knows that we believe and teach, what I know we believe and teach, if I do something contrary to it, that's disobedience. I'm walking away, not with. I'm not in sync with Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not marching where He goes. I'm making my own path. And we're not very good trailblazers, I'll tell you that right now. Just start at the beginning in the garden and follow it through. He suffered, he didn't threaten. What did he do? Semicolon after the word not, he threatened not. But he committed himself 
to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to God. Here is the Son of God being mistreated, uh, being led up to the point of crucifixion, being put to death, and he committed himself to the righteous judge, to the Heavenly Father, to God. When we obey the gospel, when we come up out of the water of baptism, Brother Jack Exum used to say, if that's all you needed to do, well, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been Philip that got snatched away that day. It would have been the eunuch. You know, Philip baptized him, and God could take him away to heaven. We baptize you, and God just snatched you away to heaven. That was not God's intention. That was not God's plan. You come up out of the water, you have a life in front of you. It's called the Christian life. It's different than the worldly life. It's different behavior. It's different thinking. It's different acceptance. It's different standards. And we find all of the things we need in this book. God took care of it all. God always has a plan, always had a plan. All of his plans were developed before the foundation of the world. He knew this was going to happen, and when it did, he had this that would happen. He knew this was going to happen, and when it did, he knew that he's sending his son to do this. He committed himself to the righteous judge who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore our sins in his own body, but it's our sins he bore on his own body on the tree or the cross so that being dead to sins, we could live unto righteousness. By, here's a colon now, another extension to the sentence, by whose stripes we are healed. We won't get spiritual healing anywhere else. We will not get healed by a faith healer because they'll heal what you can't see. They'll say, oh, this man is having chest pains and he's had them for 20 years. I'll cast him out. You know, whatever. And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm making a point here. There is only one place to be healed spiritually. In the time of the apostles, when the Holy Spirit uh, was allowing the working of miracles, it was to promote faith. It says very plainly in the Scripture. And so that had its purpose. But our healing that we're all in need of now, all over the world, is spiritual healing. And that comes from what Christ had done. We can be healed by his stripes, we were healed. In verse 25, ye were as sheep going astray, sheep wandering off without the shepherd. Peter says, after the semicolon, but you are now returned. The angels in heaven have rejoiced because you've come back to, and notice, shepherd and bishop, they're capitalized. Returned into the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, if you wander off and leave the shepherd and you're really a sheep, what happens? Well, you can fall over a cliff and perish in the fall. Or, and you'd be lucky if that happened because you could be running along and merrily, merrily further from the shepherd and here's this pack of wolves and you know exactly what wolves want to do to a sheep. Well, we've returned to the shepherd and the bishop if we've obeyed the gospel. If we have not obeyed the gospel, 
we have not returned. Peter's teaching us to imitate Jesus. We were called. He had a calling. His calling was to go to the cross. And he took our sins with him there. We are called to obey the gospel. If we neglect to do that, we're ignoring God. We're defying God. We're disobeying God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5, Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think like Christ, Paul says. Verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He's the Son of God. Verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation. He did that by being born into a human family, being placed in a manger, living here 30 33 years, and then suffering the death that would follow. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men physically. Spiritually, he's still bearing the image of God. And that's what God brings us around to. He wants us to be the image bearers that he created us to be in the garden. So verse 8 Paul concludes that that paragraph by saying, and being found in the fashion, (coughs) excuse me, being found in fashion as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and he became obedient. Obedient to who? His father. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All the things that God could have asked his son to do and, and probably they, you know, God's all knowing. He knows what works and what doesn't. They probably wouldn't have worked. All the things that He called Him to do, but He called Him, He He appointed Him to go to the cross. And you know, Jesus grew up knowing that that was the direction He was headed. Jesus knew, you know, when He's twelve years old, He's sitting in the temple, discussing things with the doctorate, the people who have doctorates in the Theology, he knew where he was going. And when the, you know, 30, 30, around his 30th year, maybe 33 or 4, the calendar's off. Uh, Our calendars are off by four years. But when the time arrived, he knew it was time. And he followed through. The things that God asks of us are not. Well, you know, it could come to a point in the time of persecution, we might need to either renounce God or die, and we don't, we don't have to renounce God because they may think we're losing when we lose our life. But as Christians, if, you're obe- if you've obeyed the gospel, if you're serving God, you're a winner. So if at that time of persecution ever comes, we can be like Polycarp. He sang hymns while they burned him at the stake because he was done with this, and he knew it. God was waiting for him on the other side. He was obedient to the death on the cross. 
it's simple things that God asks us of. It's the things that we do uh, daily, praying, not forgetting Him. You know, uh, parents have children away at college sometimes, and they'll they'll call them. They'll say, "You haven't called me in a long time. Did you forget me?" Or they'll write them a letter. Yeah, or somebody's overseas and they write a letter. I haven't got a letter in a while. Did everybody forget me? Well, God likes to hear from us. You say, but He's all-knowing. Yes, He's all-knowing. But He is a Father. And He wants to hear from His children. And when we have a problem, we should pray about it. We shouldn't just go when we have a request. Oh, I know, I know God, I want, I've not been here a while, but I've got something else that I need now. No, then we sound like... <laughs> We sound like the way our society raises, uh, raises us up or tries to, and Christians will avoid that using the, the uh, tools in the Bible. We learn to take the cue from the God's Word, especially the, the New Testament. And if God says, I'll give one that usually is a ticklish spot, uh, let every one of you lay by himself, uh, lay by in store on the first day of the week uh, as God has prospered. Okay, God's asked us to do that. And it's not a ask, ask, would, would you mind doing this? David said God owns the cows on the hills. Who's the creator, by the way? God is. Everything belongs, we belong to him. But he allows us to make choices and we can take a stand and acknowledge his ownership or we rebel against him and we lose. When the time comes, we lose. We must become obedient. It may not be a death on the cross. Is, are we making lists now? No, we're not making lists. We're developing attitudes. When we read the New Testament scriptures, rarely will you find a thou shalt not, like the Old Testament had. But you find many things in the affirmative. And you do have these lists that Paul will give you. Chris read one last week. I'm looking over here for Chris, but he's over there. Uh, he had read one last week, and then in another scripture, Paul will list almost the same list. And then he puts in the words, and such like. God tells us what to stay away from. God tells us what we should do, and we have a choice to make. And we reap the rewards of obeying God, whatever it is that He asks us to do, or we face the consequences of living lives of disobedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Still thinking about imitating Jesus. Paul says, but we all... That's a little word, but it covers a lot of people. All. A-L-L. Even the little peeps can spell it if they're paying attention. All. That's inclusive. For we all with open face. Now, inclusive to this extent, he's writing to Christians. So he's writing to us when I say we. We all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed unto His image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You want to know how to make change in your life? It's not, and I'm not kicking resolutions. I think setting goals is great. Uh, but it's not the last week of December saying, 
I resolve to make myself do this. I resolve so that I will this. I, 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 I notice the I there. Or maybe a me gets used. And the simple answer to the unasked question is imitate Jesus. If we imitate Jesus in the way that we live, if we imitate Jesus in the service that we give, if we imitate Jesus in obedience to the Father, if we imitate Jesus in respect of the Word of God and the keeping of what God says, if we imitate Jesus, we will be respectful to other human beings. If we imitate Jesus, we will have a great appreciation for uh, the, the creation, the earth, the globe, the universe, because He was involved in it. If we imitate Jesus, we behold in a glass the glory of the Lord and we're changed from image, from glory to glory. We're changed from our old image. We came up out of the water, a change had already taken place. And then we start, read your Bible and pray every day and study and come to Bible class and come to worship and praise the Lord and don't be afraid to praise the Lord. Every day He gives you a new day, get up and, uh, get up and praise God. Because we don't have to be in a house of worship to praise the Lord. We can praise Him for our good health. We can praise Him that uh, somebody recovered uh, from an illness. We can praise Him that we returned safely for our trip. We can praise Him when out of the blue came what we needed that we didn't have. And it was definitely a need. But there, that's providence. That's God at work. And I thoroughly believe in providence. It's when you look back and you're going to write a history of how you survived it. And you got all those places where, how in the world did that happen? That, that was impossible. Anywhere you can use the word or see the word in your life that says impossible, thank God. Thank providence. Because God cares about us. We are not deists. Benjamin Franklin, good man as he was, he was a deist. And he believed that God took the, took the universe like a clock, and he wound it up, and he set it on a ledge, and he walked away, waiting for it to run down. God's, God's involved in the affairs of men. Uh, his hand of providence is here. Does he force our decisions? No. Does he, uh, does he force uh, countries that are uh, slaughtering people to stop? No. But he sends his providence, makes a way for it to happen. And uh, we need to praise that God every day. We need to stay as close to Him as we can. We need to imitate Jesus. Uh, not going to get ten, and I'm not going to try to, but I am going to slip in the fourth one. John 13, 12 through 15. I may slip in the fifth one. John 13, 12 through 15. He says, So after He had washed their feet, and taken his garments, and was set down again. He said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye do well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, is Jesus saying, literally bring out the wash pan and get a bucket of warm water if you can find one, and wash everybody's feet every time you... That's not what he's talking about. 
Jesus is saying, like he said once to his apostles, uh, when they were early on in training, he said, the one that's the least among you will be the greatest. The one that's servant among you will be the leader. Uh, we lead by serving. We show people the way to Jesus by having an attitude of service. That does not mean we enslave ourselves. That means that we do things that, you know, if you do, if you do everything for somebody that they're capable of doing, that's teaching something bad. But if you help people with things that they can't accomplish, that's being helpful. And God does not do things for us that we can do. And so we're imitating His, His style, His way. And so we look and we see a problem or we see a difficulty. Maybe we're, I know this concept comes up because we, we all go, go there. Maybe we're in the grocery store and somebody in front of us is short a dollar. And maybe it's a, a, somebody doesn't look like they have a lot and they're going to have to take something off. And they're not sure what they want to take off. And I know some of you have encountered people that, what do you mean by that? What would you do that for? But doing it with no thought of self, and you say to the person, let, let me cover it for you. And just step back then. Uh, doing things that we used, to, we used to see done a lot. Holding the doors for people, helping people with large... And I think it still goes on. I think those of us that were raised during those eras still practice it. We need to get it ingrained because you know what? It, it comes right out of, of principles in the Bible. Imitating Jesus in servanthood, in service to others. Uh, what is it they say to police officers and military people on special days? They say, thank you for your service. Well, they enjoy the thank you, and we ought to say it. But they did it before the thank you because they chose to be servants. We obey the gospel because we chose. We serve because we choose to be Christians. The same way Christ chose to go to the cross. And I said I'm going to get five in because we've got to leave with John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give unto you. This is Jesus talking. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. A policeman wears a badge and we know he's a policeman because he's got that badge on. Uh, a nurse may have a name tag. Somebody else may have something else. Uh, somebody may be a, a, a repairman. He's got maintenance on, on his jacket or his uh, sweatshirt. The badge of the Christian, the mark of the Christian, is love. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Now they were commanded in the Old Testament to love, but a new word appeared in the New Testament. And, you know, love is spoken many ways. We talk about loving baseball, uh, baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. Um, if you drive forward, I'm not throwing off on you. I'm just quoting there. Uh, we talk about that. We're, we're using the word love in an off kind of way. Uh, Jesus used a stronger form. In Greek, it's agape. And the word means to seek the highest good in another individual. And so he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. That you seek the highest good in one another. 
the same way I've, I've been seeking the highest good in you. I've been looking at people like Peter and Andrew, fishermen, their mouths need cleaned up a little bit, and they're temperamental, and they uh, are impulsive, but I'm looking at what they can be, not what they are. He's looking at what we can be and not what we are. We can reclaim the right to be an image bearer. We can become like Jesus. We can be servants of God. He says, so by this shall all men know. How's the community going to know that you're a Christian? By your love. They'll know we're Christians. By our agape. They will know we're Christians because we seek the highest good in others and not the lowest we can find. If we, if we run a negative list on this guy and that lady and these kids, if that's what we do, we'll have a reputation. If we run a positive list of looking for the best in others, looking for the best, that goes back to another uh, lesson, another scripture, the little word edify. Christians have responsibility to build up. We are builders. We are not destroyers. Satan is the master destroyer. Christ is the master builder. And as he builds us up, and that'll happen, the deeper we get into the Word, and we make a point, we make a commitment, we hear that call, and we are committed to imitate Jesus. We are committed to looking in, in the mirror and seeing that image changing. And it's not me I'm changing. It's I'm imitating the image of Christ. I'm becoming more like Christ day by day. That's the goal. And sometimes we'll have days when we, we stumble and we fall. And when I stumble and when I fall, God is like parents and grandparents. When our little ones stumble fall now, they lift them up. And God will lift us up. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's five verses, well, more than five verses, but five sections of Scripture and five more to go and many more after that that uh, talk about imitating Christ. And we're either in one of two classes this morning. We've already obeyed the Gospel. We've put on the Lord in baptism. Or we haven't. And if you haven't, you need to obey the Lord and take care of that this morning so that you're safe. You know, there's a storm coming for your life at some point. And if you're not ready for that storm, it'll be deadly. And that's the eternal storm. Once we obey the Gospel, we need to focus. We need to imitate Jesus. We need to grow strong in the faith. Whatever you need is this morning. If you need to obey the Gospel and baptism, we're here to assist you. If you've obeyed the Gospel already and need prayers, we're here to pray with you and for you. Will you come while we stand and sing? The great physician now.